Hey everybody, welcome back to To The Point. We're here live on a Monday. Hope you're all doing well. Coming off a very nice weekend. One of the nicest weekends in some time. Throughout the entire summer, I don't know if the weather was ever this good. But I'm going to take it. We're into October, which is happy, sad, depressing, jubilant, all at the same time. Because the weather's going to get worse and we're getting closer to the white stuff. And I'm not talking about cocaine. But there's also a lot of sports happening. The start of the NHL season is exactly eight days away, a week from tomorrow. The season starts. And this week on the podcast, we're going to be doing something a little fun. It's a it's a divisional preview. Tomorrow we'll be doing the Atlantic Division. So we're going to do Atlantic tomorrow. Wednesday we'll do the Metro. I'm going to do the... Then we'll get into the Western Conference later in the week. Next week, we'll do a prediction show before the start of the season, all that fun stuff. So that's forthcoming, locked and loaded with content coming up for that. So they, uh, get ready for that in the next couple weeks. A lot of things change, a lot to dive into in these divisional previews, so those should be fun. That's coming up this week. What about this weekend? Normally... Mondays are heavily loaded with the NFL, and it will be as always, but I do have some baseball thoughts because the regular season's over. Playoffs tomorrow in Major League Baseball. Preview the series and everything tomorrow, but I want to talk about the weekend, things that happen, injury updates out of Baltimore, a stadium update out of Baltimore. Lots happening in Baltimore. 100-win season. What a year for them. So we're going to talk baseball. There's some NHL news. There was an NBA trade. Lots happening there. So we're going to get to it all. But I want to start off today by talking about just something that is it's annoying me. Taylor Swift. We're two weeks in to this Travis, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift saga, if you will. This relationship that I don't think is a relationship, but it's... One that benefits Travis Kelsey greatly, but I can't figure out why Taylor Swift's involved. I suppose he's a handsome guy. He's got some charisma. She likes to get into relationships that fail, as she's documented many times in her many songs that she's written. And honestly, my mother made a good point to me this morning when I said I'm really starting to dislike Taylor Swift. She said it's not her fault. And she's right about that. Because... Because it's the NFL's fault. And here's the thing. I'm trying to enjoy Sunday Night Football. They had the Jets playing in primetime. Even though the game was close, the Jets shouldn't be scheduled in primetime. No Aaron Rodgers. Nobody gives a shit about Zach Wilson or that team. But they're in primetime. So you have to deal with it. And the game was less about that Zach Wilson outplayed Patrick Mahomes last night, which he did. The game was less about that Patrick Mahomes played awful or that there was a missed call at the end that nobody really, really cared about or the fact that the Jets are 1-3 and three and now people are kind of high on the Jets and there's, there's feeling around football that Zach Wilson can turn it around and people are starting to root for him. It's a real twist of fate here. No, that's not the discussion. The discussion is... Oh, Taylor Swift was at the game and they had to show her a hundred times. 
it made the product really hard to watch. It made the product not that engaging, quite frankly. Now, the juxtaposition to that is the NFL is saying we want women, we want these demographics to watch football because Taylor Swift is at the game. Now, I don't understand that logic because there are plenty of people that I enjoy in any facet of life. Robert Downey Jr., if he was at a sporting event, I would not tune in to watch it if I did not care just because Robert Downey Jr. was at the game. And to me, Robert Downey Jr. is a better celebrity than Taylor Swift, but that's a whole other opinion. He's a better he's better at his profession than she is at hers. There you go. I said it. But he is just at the certain thing that people will watch it. Again, just completely puzzling. Why? Don't know. Who else was uh Brooklyn? No, uh, what's her name? Blake Lively, who's lovely, by the way, and Ryan Reynolds, who's also lovely, beautiful couple. Ryan Reynolds, Canadian, so of course, got to support him. And uh, Hugh Jackman was also at, at the game. We didn't know because they didn't show them. They showed Taylor Swift hu hugging Donna Kelsey again, and she's flying from Philly where she was sitting with Jake from State Farm, and then she's sitting with Taylor Swift. It's just, ugh. Can we watch the fucking game? Please, can we just watch the game? That's what we're here for, right? I want to see Mahomes throw to Kelsey without seeing, seeing Taylor Swift. I want to see Isaiah Pacheco run for over 100 yards, which he did last night. I want to see Chris Jones have a hell of a game. How about this? Sunday Night Football, How about, could, you, could you talk about who had a great day? Could you talk about the biggest moments of the, of the weekend? Here's something you might not have known. Khalil Mack, know him? Pass rusher, Las Vegas Raiders. Well, formerly the Las Vegas Raiders, now he's a member of the Los Angeles Chargers. So the Freudian slip there for myself. He got traded to Los Angeles, former Raider, former Bear. Didn't have a sack through three games. He had six in one game yesterday, which was one off the NFL record. Didn't hear that brought up all that much. Khalil Mack, okay, it's in the witching hour. It's Chargers, Raiders. I don't know. It's the one close game in the witching hour. San Francisco dumps Arizona, and the Cowboys spank Bill Belichick, which we'll get to. But no. Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, he stayed at her apartment. Blah, 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 blah. Ugh, I don't care. Save that for entertainment tonight or save it for TMZ, whatever the kids are using now. I sound like an old man using those references. But okay, she's at a game. She going to Minnesota next week? I doubt it. I hope not. And I don't want to hate this too much, but I am rooting for this relationship to fail and for it to fail quickly. Because I don't want her at games because I don't want her to pan to her again and again and again. And again, it's not her fault. It isn't. My mother was right when she pointed that out. It's the cameras people's fault and the people at NBC. And they're talking about Taylor Swift 
last night, more than they're talking about Rodney Harrison being a complete scumbag talking about Zach Wilson. If you didn't watch the game last night, Sunday night, probably thinking, oh, it's a good night. I can get some sleep, go to bed early, be fresh Monday morning. Could be working today, could be not be. It's the truth and reconciliation. But hey, either way, whether I'm working, whether or not I'll wake up spry, just attack the Monday. Attack just a beautiful Monday, October 2nd. I'm going to kill it. But it ended up being 23-20. to 20. Make an argument the Jets should have won the game, but they lost it because the Jets and Zach Wilson fumbled late. They're now 1-3. Chiefs are 3-1. So yes, the Jets covered the spread and everything happened there. But the result, the result, Jets are 1-3, Chiefs are 3-1. But Zach Wilson had his best game as a professional. Zach Wilson played truly elite football until that fumble against a Chiefs defense that I would argue is top five in the National Football League. So not too shabby from old Zach, who has been... Criticized by you, me, everybody, because he hasn't been very good in his career. He played good last night. Now, will that carry over? That remains to be seen. He looked confident for once. Do I trust Zach Wilson? Hell no. But he keeps his job for another week because he played well. So kudos to him. Keeps Trevor Simeon off his back. But after the game, NBC, who seemingly has endless people who will do post-game, pre-game coverage, they have so many people hired there, it is truly astounding. All great minds, by the way. (laughs) But they're on the field in Kansas City, and Rodney Harrison, former Patriot, Belichick disciple, I would argue a dirty player over the course of his career. Multiple suspensions, caught for performance-enhancing drugs, used to go low on people. Sure, won the Super Bowls. He hasn't gotten to the Hall of Fame yet. He's on the fringes. But he says to Chris Jones, trying to bait him, he goes, Zach Wilson is absolute garbage, right? And Chris Jones, the pro that he is, pivots and says, I think Zach played really good football tonight. I think Zach looked poised, and he might have been the toughest quarterback that we have faced so far this year. Wow. That's a different answer. It's a different way of looking at it than saying somebody's absolute garbage. Now, You can call somebody absolute garbage. You can call them trash. You can call anybody you want if they're trash. If somebody plays well, why would you call them absolute garbage? That makes it seem like you have an agenda. That makes it seem like you're leaning a certain way. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Rodney Harrison is a patriot through and through. And I'm talking about New England, not the, you know, war, a patriot in that sense. He hates the Jets. And there are people in the media or 
when it comes to covering politics, who do a good job and do a bad job at hiding who they are. And there's less and less of that in the world today. I think one of the biggest skill sets that you can have is if you can bullshit somebody into making them believe something that you don't. Going through a conversation and doing it amicably without having them know where you're leaning. Now, some of you might look at me and say, I fail at that, and I might. I'm open. I'm honest. But do I think Zach Wilson was absolute garbage last night? No. And it makes no sense to direct that criticism at him today. If he plays like absolute crap next week against the Denver Broncos, have at it. Bury him. Say whatever you want about Zach Wilson. Kick him while he's down. Do whatever you got to do. But today, last night, I don't see the point. Rodney Harrison made a mistake. And I think he was absolute garbage with the way he handled it. It's hard to give up. Okay, you wore the team colors and you're a... Fans aren't supposed to have objectivity because they're a fan. They're not employed to do it. They're not supposed to have any sense or any sense of the wrong word, but any, they don't have any reason to not be emotional, to not have opinions about their team that are only positive because they're a fan or overly negative because of the way that the situation has gone. In my mind, growing up, learning from people, having a journalism degree, I always valued people that I did not know where they were leaning. I did not know if who if they played on a team, if they did, oh, I don't know. Wow, you played on that team while wow, you just criticized. You were open and honest about the fact that you weren't you didn't like what they did. Troy Aikman has really gotten better at this over the years. Yes, he's a Dallas Cowboy, and he won three Super Bowls, but I think he's very fair with the way he talks about specific teams. And that specific team, he doesn't care. He'll say what he thinks. And if Jerry's pissed off, then Jerry's pissed off. That's just the way it goes. That's his job. As theatrical and as over-the-top as I think Tony Romo has become, and I don't think he's a great announcer anymore alongside Jim Nance, I wouldn't know that he was a Cowboys quarterback. Because I think he's very fair with the way he breaks things down. Collingsworth, same thing. Okay, you play for the Bengals. I wouldn't know. That's what I value. There's a lot of, again, there's people that cover hockey that I like, but I don't like the way that you can just tell who they're, who they're working for. And I don't think working for a certain team or being on that broadcast gives you that liberty. Most people give them that pass. I don't because I think journalism and I think the media at large 
should be held to a higher standard than just, well, you're employed by the teams. I have to kiss their ass. That's again, I might be over my skis on this, but you're, you're paid to give an opinion and you're paid to be interesting. Rodney Harrison gave a stupid opinion and he's not interesting. And NBC, by far, has the worst coverage of them all. Fox, no, Fox has too many people as well. But NBC with Jason Garrett and with him and Collingsworth's son, who I don't think is any good, but looks like Collingsworth and he sounds like him, so you have to employ him. This is just my media rant. Haven't had one in a couple weeks. They crit- we criticize the players. We talk about their shortcomings. The same thing should be said about the media people because if a player responds to a media person, they're weak. Or you're listening and it's it's held against you. Media person says it, oh, it's just, oh, it's you can get away with it. And I saw Matt Leinert, who who works for just college football coverage on Fox. And I think he's the best on that show. Brady Quinn's solid as well, but I think Matt Leinert's the best. Smart guy. He had this to say. This is trash. Our job in media is to analyze and critique, not to rip these guys apart, especially after a great game. Complete garbage. Couldn't have said it better myself, Matt. There's a former NFL player, a two-time Heisman Trophy winner, saying like it is. Do better. Or get off TV, Rodney Harrison. Zach Wilson, see if he can build on it. And Nathaniel Hackett. Called a hell of a game. He played well. You nearly beat the Super Bowl champions. But the big thing to remember, they didn't. Big ups to Josh Allen. Josh Allen, who was a complete nightmare in week one, is now playing as good or better than any quarterback in the NFL. The game of the game of week four was Dolphins at Bills, and it turned out to be one-way traffic, and the Bills showing everybody that the AFC East still runs through Buffalo. The first three drives, Josh Allen had three touchdowns and zero incompletions. He threw the ball up and down the field with ease, on the run, tight windows. He was into his bag of tricks. And they ended up beating the Dolphins by 28.
after the first quarter, the Dolphins had one drive of over eight plays. And to be quite frank, Tua didn't play bad yesterday. Threw a bad interception late in the fourth quarter, but the game was out of hand. But Josh Allen, 21 for 25, 324 touchdowns. And a rushing touchdown himself. He was Superman, and Stefan Diggs caught three touchdown passes. Josh Allen has 10 games in, in his career of over four-plus touchdown passes, and three of them have came against the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins last season, you love your quarterback, you love your offense. The biggest thing you need to improve on is your defense, and it got completely smoked yesterday like it did against the Chargers in week one. Vic Fangio's defense has played two elite quarterbacks. Justin Herbert, who's right there with Josh Allen with playing the best football in the NFL. Against Herbert and Josh Allen, you've given up at least 35 points to both teams. And over, in this game, the Bills secured... 414 total yards, over 400 yards gained by the Chargers and the Bills in those respective games. And you're lucky to win one of them. Xavier Howard at the cornerback position lost a step about a year and a half ago. He's had multiple surgeries. He's played a lot of football. And the speed just isn't there anymore. But you have him who's who's banged up, and then you don't have Jalen Ramsey. So you have Cahoe, who's playing for him, and Diggs scored three touchdowns matched up against him. Complete disaster all game long, and they could do nothing about it. Could do nothing about it. They couldn't tackle yesterday. They couldn't get a stop. They couldn't get a big play on third down by their pass rush. No Jalen Phillips or Bradley Chubb is getting a lot of double teams, and Josh Allen could do whatever the hell he wanted. Meanwhile, you had the Bills' defensive line. They were a disaster in the first quarter, and then after, they attacked. Teron Armstead left the game. Doesn't look good. Slams his helmet. Could be injured for a while. And before you know it, it's just a complete melee. Sack after sack. Tua's getting hit. Drop back. He has no time to throw. Punt, 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 and the Dolphins' offense completely stalls. It didn't matter how long Tua had to throw yesterday because the pass rush was winning against that offensive line. And the Bills are establishing themselves as a physical football team. They believe in one another. I think they were embarrassed after week one. And what, what impresses me is the Josh Allen turnaround, which we all expect because he is so talented. But even more for me is the defense. No Von Miller, who might be eligible to return Sunday morning when they play the Jags in London. So he might be back, but you're top three in the NFL in sacks, and you haven't had your best pass rusher in four weeks, and you're three and one. And you're dominating teams along the way. They should be 
The Jets' loss is the anomaly. That was a complete, that game was crazy. But since then, they have been, other than San Francisco, the most scary team in the NFL. And I still worry about them when it comes to playing the Chiefs because I still believe in Mahomes more than I believe in Josh Allen, and I always will until uh, Allen can beat him in an important game. With that defense, with the quarterback playing the way he's playing, they can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Because the AFC is in a weird spot. Cincinnati's 1-3. and three. They scored three points yesterday, and for whatever reason, Joe Burrow played the entire game. He played every snap, and the game was over early in the third quarter. I'm screaming at my TV. Why the hell is he in there? He's got a hurt quad. He can only throw four to five yards down the field. They survived the Rams game because their defense was fantastic. But Mike Vrabel, his bag of tricks, that defense, Derrick Henry, runs for over 100, throws a touchdown pass himself, and Tennessee just slaps them in the mouth. But Cincinnati's 1-3. and three. Cleveland's 2-2. Two and two. You love their defense. They didn't have Deshaun Watson yesterday, so they lose. But do you trust Cleveland yet? No. Pittsburgh, forget about it. They score six points, and Kenny Pickett has an injured knee, and he's going to be out multiple weeks, meaning that Mitch Trubisky will now be their starting quarterback for the foreseeable future. Baltimore's 3-1, and one, but their last three wins have been against backup quarterbacks. They got the Steelers this week, so they'll have a game against another backup quarterback. So you might win your division, but are you going to be very, are you going to be that good? Is the question. Are you that good? Look at Indianapolis, Houston, Jacksonville, and Tennessee are all two and two in the AFC. Do I trust Jacksonville? Did you watch the game in London? If Desmond Ritter was a capable quarterback that could do anything, maybe the Falcons would have won. But they didn't. Trevor Lawrence didn't play all that well. Their offense makes some stupid plays. Doug Peterson, and they don't look aligned. I don't know. Indianapolis, huge comeback against the Rams, but they ultimately lose in overtime. I like the story of Indianapolis. I like watching Anthony Richardson play. But they're a young team. They don't have the most talent in the world. So they're growing. Houston, same thing. I will say for Houston, C.J. Stroud's been playing elite. Elite quarterback play from him. This season... Has a QBR of over 100, 1,200 yards passing, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. Has not turned the ball over yet. He's still going through growing pains. He had 14 incompletions yesterday, but he's throwing the ball down the field, he's being aggressive. 
Nico Collins, seven for a buck, sixty-eight, and two touchdowns yesterday. They smoked the Steelers. AFC West, Kansas City's three and one, but their offense is not the same. I still really like the team. I look at the Chargers. I think they're a good team. I I think their coach is an idiot, and he tried to lose another game yesterday, which concerns me. But I like them. Justin Herbert, as I said, he's playing the football he's playing right now. He had two rushing touchdowns yesterday. He had a passing touchdown. They grinded out that game. Just finding Joshua Palmer, finding passes. Not They're not putting Quentin Johnson in the offense yet, which I don't understand. But they're 2-2, two and two, and they survived the Raiders with a backup quarterback. And Aiden O'Connell didn't play that horrible. Made a mistake late in the game. But the Raiders aren't a good team. So my conclusion there is there are more bad teams in the AFC than there are good teams. Or there might just be more teams that you look at and go, what are you? But to me, if you had to give an MVP at the... The quarter pole. The 17 games, let's say it's the quarter pole. To me, the MVP of the league thus far is either Josh Allen, Tua, or Christian McCaffrey. But Christian Christian McCaffrey had four touchdowns yesterday. He's not a quarterback. (laughs) Three rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown for the 49ers. And also Brock Purdy had one incompletion yesterday which is baffling. He does not have a loss in his career in the regular season. That team is just chugging along. I always worry about McCaffrey getting too much of the low, but the dude's been phenomenal. He changes that offense. Ayuk was back healthy yesterday. He caught a bunch of balls over 100 yards. 49ers are scary because they just they do nothing wrong. And the Cardinals played hard in that game as they do every week. Just the 49ers are too much. But I credit the Bills in what they've done since that embarrassing Jets loss. To roll off three in a row. Okay, you can go, well, Raiders, isn't that impressive? I agree. Then they played... Who did they play in week three? There's another team that wasn't all that impressive, I believe, if I can remember. Bills. Commanders. That's a better commander. Commanders play hard yesterday. You crush the commanders by 34. And then you beat the Dolphins. That's the big one. You beat the Dolphins, a division rival. Undefeated team by 28 at home. You make a statement. Plus, it was great to see DeMar Hamlin back on the field. Good moment for him, good moment for football. But the Bills can do it if they put it together. And Josh Allen just doesn't make the stupid mistakes. They absolutely are a threat. 
They're a dangerous team. Stephon Diggs is one of the best receivers in the NFL, and if him and Josh Allen are on the same page and they're not streaming at one another, look out. But credit to the Bills. For the Dolphins, Vic Fangio is the defensive stopper. He's the genius on defense. I don't care how good you are. If your corners aren't that good, you are in tough. If that offensive line is banged up and you can't hold up against the pass rush, you are not going to beat anybody. Yesterday's loss was not about Tua. Tua was fine. Tua's been great all year long. He's been one of the best quarterbacks. Doesn't change one game. We just move on. We got to talk about this Cowboys-Patriots game. (laughs) <laughs> couple things Patriots defense responded in a big way and they deserve all the credit in the world for that they were embarrassed against the Cardinals and they come out and they put a hole through the Patriots an embarrassing embarrassing game for the one of the worst games of Bill Belichick's career quite frankly. Never in it. And Mac Jones, three turnovers yesterday, two leading, two touchdowns. Cowboys scored two defensive touchdowns yesterday and a little fumble, a punch ball from Mac Jones, scooped up for a touchdown, then a pick six by Deron Bland. And ultimately, Mac Jones gets benched in the third quarter for Bailey Zappi. Talk about the Patriots first. One and three. Only win coming against the Jets. It's okay to lose to the Cowboys. Most people didn't have you winning the game. Most people would bet that you weren't going to cover the spread. But that was something else. Not competitive. Didn't seem prepared. And there are about three to four throws a game where you just look at Mac Jones and go, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you trying to be? What's your identity? As a player, his weapons aren't good in New England. No doubt about that. But I mean, holding the ball too long and then fumbling, that's on him. Throwing a bad pick six because the throw is late and Deron Bland can read it, scoop it up and take it to the house. That's on him. Patriots want Mac Jones to be their guy. And I think he's a solid quarterback. I think he'll be in the NFL for a long time occupying a job. But to me, Mac Jones is Sam Darnold. Go be a backup somewhere. Go play in San Francisco. And work with Kyle Shanahan and back up Brock Purdy. That's his 
role to me. Both first-round quarterbacks that have been underwhelming so far in their career. To me, Mac just, he makes dumb decisions with the ball. You need a quarterback sneak, you want to, you need a yard. He runs into himself practically, and you don't get it on, on a fourth down attempt. You fumble, you throw an interception. And this is also on Bill Belichick. I mean, Devontae Parker, Zeke Elliott, Juju Smith-Schuster, who... You can tell it's hurt because he only had one catch. He had one catch the week prior. He just isn't involved. Their best receiver is Pop Douglas, who you've hardly heard of before this season. He can't draft wide receivers. And to me, it's clear that Bill is just he the Tom Brady wave. He wrote it for a while. He got sick of not getting the credit. I think Bill Belichick and Jerry Jones have a lot more in common than we initially thought. Bill is, I don't care. We're on to Cincinnati. We're going to do this, that, and third. I don't think so. I think he wants the credit. I think he really cares about the perception. And he wants people to know what he's done and what it means for him to be in Foxborough and what he built there. And you can't take the Super Bowl rings away, and I'm not saying he's not a good coach. But as a general manager, he's been horrible. And you could argue he was a horrible general manager when Tom Brady was there, but Tom Brady made it work. Because if it was Julian Edelman and Danny Amendola's playing with Mac Jones, this Patriots team would still suck. This Patriots team would still lose by 35 points to the Dallas Cowboys. Matthew Judon, Dietrich Wise Jr., Christian Gonzalez, the rookie, good players on the defense. He knows defensive players, but he doesn't know a lick about offense. Heard Charles Barkley say this. He said, I think Nick Saban's the best coach ever. Because he knows he can't do everything. He finds people that will run the special teams, the offense, and he can control the defense because he can park that ego and just hire the best people because he's comfortable in what he's doing. I'm not saying Bill O'Brien is not a good offensive coordinator because I think he is. He was a solid head coach in Houston. But Bill O'Brien Bill went to hell in Houston when he started being the general manager, he was buying the groceries and he was cooking the meal. Maybe you can't cook. You can just buy the groceries, having somebody else cook for you. Or maybe don't buy the groceries for that side of the ball because clearly you know nothing that's going to work. That's as ugly a game as it's going to get. For the Patriots. Non-competitive. Complete blowout. On Fox. In the time slot. Everybody. Cowboys. And you get. You're a joke. 
Now you go home to play the Saints, and Derek Carr looked awful yesterday, and he looked like he shouldn't have been on the field because he's clearly still hurting from that shoulder injury. But if you drop to 1-4, and four, all the questions are going to be, are you going to bench Mac Jones? What's happening? And it's going to be the media are going to be just picking at him like a goddamn hyena. Because I even think Patriots fans are sick of this. Mediocrity. 7 and 9, 7 and 10 now for the last couple seasons. And Mac Jones, he just needs help. I don't know. Sam Darnold went to Carolina and it didn't go well for him. Now he's in San Francisco, still in the league, but he's holding a clipboard. And you know what? He could come in and play if you need him to. But it might just be the best situation for him to be the backup and earn the check that way. Chase Daniel did it forever. There's no shame in it. You need a backup quarterback. Somebody needs the job. I think Mac Jones, that's where his career is going. He doesn't have zero talent, but he doesn't have uber enough talent to make up for his stupid decision-making in big moments. For the Cowboys, I can find fault. It's the same fault for the last couple weeks. Red zone. They win 38-3. Kumbaya, my lord. Everybody will be excited. Here's something to ponder. With Dak Prescott on the field yesterday, the Dallas Cowboys offense scored one touchdown. One touchdown. Hunter Lupke scored one late in the fourth quarter. Cooper Rush was in at quarterback. Leighton Vander Esch with a fumble, fumble return. And Deron Bland with the 54-yard pick six. So over the last two games, the Cowboys have two touchdowns by their offense. Playing the Cardinals and the Patriots. If you can't score in the red zone, which they haven't all year, you're not going to beat the best teams. Can you beat the Patriots? who stink, sure. And you can beat the Giants, who aren't all that good, and you can get by these teams that are just run-of-the-mill. But they got San Francisco next week. You got Goliath. You got the best team in the NFL. You have your chance to go into Levi Stadium and make a statement. We're the Cabos. I'm Dak Prescott. We believe in ourselves. We can score points. Because if you are just relying on that defense, you're not going to win. Because San Francisco's defense is pretty damn good too. And Kyle Shanahan's a better offensive coordinator than Bill O'Brien. And Debo Samuel's better than anybody on that offense. And Christian McCaffrey's better than almost any player in the damn whole NFL. And Brandon Ayuk's pretty damn good too. So you can beat the bad teams, get defensive scores, Even without Trayvon Diggs, you have one of the best defenses in the NFL, no doubt about it, the Cowboys. But if you can't score 
on offense, if you can't score in the red zone, two touchdowns in two games, you are not going to win a Super Bowl. You are not going to get far. Just pointing it out, Cowboys fans. I know when you win 38-3, you don't like to point out the faults. But actually, I'm like a good coach. I'm like a good father. Just because you win doesn't mean you did everything right. You got to go over the game film, point out this, what you did wrong. And nobody wants to do that. I didn't want to do that with my dad in the car. We just won the game. Let's celebrate. Now, what would you do on this shift wrong? And you know what? I knew it at the time. He was right to do it. At times, was I defensive? Of course. At times, was I irritated with the conversation and not want to have it? Of course. But he was correct in doing it because it helped me. I think it helps you in life as well to do that every now and then. So thanks, Dad and Mom somewhat for those annoying conversations. But they were helpful. Any other games I want to get to before the one that really was the interest to me? Eagles Commanders. Hell of a game. Sam Howell couldn't have played worse against the Bills. Four interceptions. Team scored three points. He balled out against the Eagles. Gutsy runs late in the game. Clutch on third down. Throwing touchdowns to Jahan Dotson in the back of the end zone. Key plays to Terry McLaurin. And the Eagles are undefeated. They won the game. The Eagles, I thought, had their best game overall as a team. Jalen Hurts was fantastic. A.J. Brown nearly had 200 yards receiving and two touchdowns. He was a beast. They didn't run the ball as much as they do in in, uh, past weeks. But Swift still looked great. But Washington threw on that defense. The the offensive line held up against the Eagles' pass rush. And the Eagles got the stop in overtime. They got that big play, and Jake Elliott kicked a field goal. But the Commanders are 2-2, and there's two different ways to look at this. They beat the Broncos who had one win, and they beat the Falcons, who are 2-2. and And You could argue both those teams will not make the playoffs, and they lose to two teams that are going to make the playoffs and likely win their division in the Eagles and the Bills. But I do think these are growing pains for Sam Howell, to battle through a really tough game, to come back the next week. You have to go to Philadelphia, play in Lincoln Financial with that crowd, with the noise, and he played fantastic. Big throw after big throw, Chase Young getting a sack. This team has dudes on it. This pass rush with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Chase Young can't affect. They sacked Jalen Hurts three times yesterday. 
So the Commanders are not a perfect team. Emmanuel Forbes had his good times and his bad times yesterday. Looking for interceptions like you got a lot of them in college, but when you're going up against a guy like A.J. Brown, who's one of the best in the league, you're going to have a tough matchup. You're going to have a tough day, which he did for the most part. But I credit the Commanders because I do think they're a competitive team. Their biggest problem is still the biggest problem when the season started. They play in the toughest division in the NFL. And they have to deal with a lot of good teams. They have to play the Eagles again. They have to play the Cowboys twice. Those are not easy games to win. And you still got to deal with the Giants, who I think will be more and more competitive as the year goes on. So knowing all that, you, you look in the mirror and go, we feel good about ourselves. We're growing. And I also think Ron Rivera looks at the situation and goes, if, I don't, if I'm not successful this year, Josh Harris and Magic Johnson and new ownership group here is going to fire me. Jack Del Rio will be gone. I'll be gone. They'll be looking for new people because I think they want to change the name. And they might want to change the staff as well. Let's hope they change the name. But even though the Eagles only won in overtime and they needed Jake Elliott's leg to get in there, I, I was more impressed than any of their first three wins because I thought they played extremely well. And they played a tough team who were game, and they came out on top. That was a Jalen Hurts, just a gutsy performance. Find a way to win it. And sometimes that's just what you have to do. It's not about style points. You just find a way, get it, win in your division. Now, before we get to the game, that was just so juicy to me. We had a lot of injuries yesterday. I mentioned Kenny Pickett. He's going to be up for a period of time. David Bakhtiari. The left tackle for the Packers. His career might be over. He just underwent his fourth surgery on his knee. The four, the fourth surgery on his left knee on his left knee in less than three years. I would tell the David Bakhtiari to not play football again. But that's not me. That he's out for the remainder of this season. We know that. So that's a problem. Tredavious White, former All-Pro corner for the Bills. Missed most of all of last season with a torn ACL. Sounds like he tore his Achilles yesterday. It's going to be confirmed he's going to miss the rest of the season. Brutal loss for the Bills and for him. You come back from a torn ACL, you're finally healthy, and then you're out again. That could be a career ender as well. So that's awful. Any other injuries that I missed? I mean, practically the entire <laughs> Ravens roster is injured, but they, they're 3-1. Stafford injured his hamstring, but they won the game in overtime against the Colts. And then there's this whole Chase Claypool situation, which is a perfect segue into the game that I watched yesterday. I'm sure most of you did not. Bears, Broncos. Who would want to watch this game? Me, because I'm sick. 
And yes, I want I watched every second of this game. Had it up on the zone. Got my couple screen on my computer, just staring at it. Broncos Bears. The Bears are up 21 at the half. And I couldn't I said, what? The Bears are up 28 to 7. Justin Fields has one incompletion in the first half. He's throwing the ball over the place. He's looking great. But like everything in for the Bears, they can't have nice things. They just can't, <laughs> they can't have things go right. So the Broncos start mounting a comeback. Russell Wilson throws three touchdown passes. Good on them. They get it back, and after a a fumble by Justin Fields, Jonathan Cooper picks up the fumble, returns it with 6.55 left. It's 28-28. That's 21 unanswered points. So then the Bears get the ball back. They're driving down the field. 2.52 left in the game. They're on the Broncos' 21-yard line. And Matt Eberflus says we're going for two. So we're going, we're going for it on fourth down. We gotta go, we're going for it. Which I don't disagree with, quite frankly. I think it was the right call. But here's what I don't like from coaches on these fourth and ones. If you have a quarterback who isn't all that tough upper body, can be pushed around a little bit. Why are you sneaking with him? They don't do it with Mahomes in Kansas City. They'll have Noah Gray or another tight end come in. But they go with Justin Fields behind center, and the Bears get stuffed by the Broncos, of course, because it's the Bears. I hate the play call. I would have put them in motion, get Kareel Herbert running up the middle. Or have the option to Justin Fields. Just have something else. Not that. So then Broncos get the ball. They go down the field. Will Lutz hits a 50-yard field goal. 31-28 Broncos. But there's still time for the Bears. They have timeouts. They have time. They get into field goal territory. Down the field, Justin Fields, beautiful play. How about penalty? Next play. Then uh, you go five yards uh, offsides on the offense. So now you're out of field goal range. You throw a pass. You have to call a timeout. You still need to get in the field goal range. He throws one in the middle of the field. He's looking for DJ Moore. It's a little bit behind him. And it's intercepted by the Broncos. The Broncos score 24 unanswered points. They get their first win in the Sean Payton era. And the Bears drop to 0 and 4. Situational football. Broncos are on a run. They score 14. You're down. You're up 28 21 at the time in the fourth quarter. Justin Fields, you need to be aware of your situation and you can't fumble. In that situation, you cannot fumble. Situational football mistake number one. Situational football mistake number two. The fourth and one. 
I don't disagree with going for it because I want to get the points and I want to win the game if I'm Matt Eberflus. I disagree with the way they went about doing that, as I pointed out. Situational football mistake number two. Situational football mistake number three, penalties in key situations. Not to mention when you take penalties after the two-minute mark, every time you take a penalty, unless you take a timeout, it's a 10-second runoff, which eliminates time off the clock. So you're either burning time or you're burning timeouts, which hurt you either way. And then you throw a ball that was behind your receiver into the hands of a defender. Always a mistake. A colossal disaster for the Bears. Not to mention, they play Thursday night against the Commanders. I'm sure we can all celebrate that we get Bears on Thursday night. Can't wait for that spectacle. Now, Bears fans, if there are any of you left, to cheer you up, here's what I got for you. After four weeks, there are two teams that are winless in the NFL, the Carolina Panthers and the aforementioned Chicago Bears. If the season ended today, the Chicago Bears would have the number one and number two picks in the 2024 NFL Draft. Carolina trading up for Bryce Young. They gave their 2024 first to the Bears. So now the Bears are in prime position to scoop that up. Not to mention, I think the Carolina Panthers are a worse football team than the Bears, and that's saying something. Sure, they played a close game against the Vikings, but they still didn't win. Who will win a game first? There's a prop. Who will be the last unbeaten team? Sorry, the last uh, winless team. Looking ahead, Bears are at Commanders Thursday night. Panthers at the Lions. Then the Bears host the Vikings. Panthers head to Miami. Bears then host the Raiders. There is a game you could win. Maybe something happens there. The Raiders like to screw things up. Panthers on a bye. Then they host the Texans. Texans are better than the Panthers. Bears then go to the church. I'm looking... I don't see either team winning anytime soon. I don't think the Bears will end this skit on Thursday night against the Commanders because I think, that, as I talked about, I think the Commanders are a pretty damn good football team. They they need to win that game too to stay in the hunt for the division. But the Bears are just so incompetent, so incompetent. It's got to be frustrating to root for that team. But we got more football tonight. Seahawks and the New York football Giants. Giants haven't played in a minute. Gonna find that spread for you. Seahawks are a point and a half point favorite on the road against. It's the New York Football Giants tonight. Saquon Barkley 
is questionable. Left tackle Andrew Thomas is out for the game. Scares me a little bit, this game. Be a great time to take a home dog. Seahawks are good on offense. The Giants' defense, when they want to be, can play. See if the Giants can start on time for for once. We haven't seen them play since they got blown out against San Francisco. Tough game to pick. I think it's going to be a close game tonight, but I would lean the favorite. I would lean Seattle. I like the Seahawks. Let's move to baseball. The regular season is over. 162 games are donezo. And we have some results. Blue Jays fans, your team made the postseason. They didn't want to. They tried to miss. But the Seattle Mariners losing on Saturday night clinched the playoffs for the Blue Jays. The funny thing is, if the Mariners had won that game, and the Mariners won yesterday like they did, Blue Jays would have missed the postseason, but that did not happen, so they're in. Oddly enough, they had a weekend that was not very successful, had some problems, lose two out of three to the Tampa Bay Rays, but it turns out in their favor because the Blue Jays now get to play the Minnesota Twins who are allergic to postseason success. You could argue the same thing. For the Blue Jays. So the Twins, who are looking to break through, looking to have success, winning the god-awful American League Central, the Blue Jays now had to play the Twins with Joe Ryan and Sonny Gray. But you look at it, Kevin Gosman, Chris Bassett, Blue Jays do have some good pitching. The best two out of three series begins tomorrow, and we'll preview all starting matchups and everything tomorrow on the show. But the Blue Jays are the third seed in the third wildcard team in the American League. Second wildcard team is the Texas Rangers. Look for about a week and a half. Texas is going to win the American League West. They've had, they had 89 wins and they went and got lost three out of four games to the Mariners. Mariners beat them yesterday in a game that meant nothing to them, but they play spoiler. Astros sweep the Diamondbacks after they went through their struggles, crushed them yesterday, and the Astros backdoor their way into getting a bye from the wildcard round, avoiding that misstep, and they end up with the second seed. They win the American League West, and they're a, they're a scary team once again. So Texas falls, and they will play the Tampa Bay Rays. And a very fun matchup with two teams who were quite successful this year. And one of them will not make it to the DS. And of course, the number one seed in the American League were the Baltimore Orioles. They clinched the American League East for the first time since 2014, nine years. You look at their season, Santander, Gunnar Henderson, Dean Kramer, a bunch of guys you didn't expect to see. A team that you did not expect to you, that would get 100 wins, going from 80 to 100 in one offseason. Seemingly every player they called up was a success. A fantastic season for Baltimore, and it's a really good story. Not to mention, on Friday they signed a new 30-year lease to stay at Camden Yards. They were looking at leaving, getting a new stadium. 
Sounds like they might do some work to the stadium, but the Orioles are staying at Camden Yards, which is an awesome ballpark, and it'll be awesome to see it in the postseason. Once again, the bad news they got, their all-star closer this year, Felix Bautista, one of the best closers in the game, had Tommy John surgery. He's done, obviously, for the postseason, and he's likely to miss all of the 2024 season. So you lose your closer, you lose your ace in the hole, puts more pressure on Yannier Cano, on Dean Colomb, in that, on Kinal Perez to be great in that bullpen late in games. A great season. You're happy to get the bye, but certainly a tougher position for the Orioles now. So how this is going to work. Whoever wins Texas or Tampa Bay will play the one-seeded Orioles. The Blue Jays twins, the winner, will play the Houston Astros in the ALDS. In the National League, some more good stories from the baseball world, if you ask me. No surprise. Atlanta Braves, one seed. We've talked about them all year. Best team in baseball. Incredibly impressive. Ended up with 104 wins. They're dynamic. Dodgers dig it to 100 wins. They're the two seed. Milwaukee. We knew, we knew the division winners going into the weekend. Milwaukee with 92 wins, and they have to play a wild card series. Crazy in the National League. Philadelphia, they were locked into that one seed, uh, first wild card spot. So they were set. It was up to the Cubs, Cincinnati, Arizona, and Miami. Well, the Marlins didn't have to play the game today in my in, against the Mets. That game's done because the Cubs completely fell apart. They did not win a game in their last weeks of the season. They got shut out yesterday against the Brewers, swept by the Braves, swept by the Brewers, six straight losses to end the year, and they miss out after having a really productive season. Tough weekend for the Chicago sports scene, I'll tell you. Although Bedard does look good in the preseason. But the Cubs miss, which means the Marlins are the two seed. The Marlins, who hardly ever make the postseason, they are in. They are set. And just a really euphoric moment for the Marlins after having a tough season begin, battling through, going through their struggles, having a really tough couple um, July and August when it comes to their schedule. They battle through. They get in. They will play the Phillies, so division matchup in the wild card round. And the third seed goes to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Another fun story with them. You look at Christian Walker, Corbin Carroll, Zach Gallen, who will be in the run for the National League Cy Young. They had injuries this year. They went through some tough stuff. But the Diamondbacks get in as well, a team that hardly had made the playoffs in almost a decade themselves. So the Marlins squeak in, the Diamondbacks, the Blue Jays. So we have our series. 4-8 tomorrow, Texas playing the Rays. Looks like Jordan Montgomery, who they traded for at the deadline, will be on the hill against Tyler Glass now. 
For the Blue Jays, Kevin Gosman, no surprise against Pablo Lopez, who they traded for last offseason from the Marlins. Go figure. Diamondbacks, Brewers, no starters announced yet for that game in the Marlins. Jesus Lazardo will be going up against Zach Wheeler. Postseason baseball is great. Best two out of three, Tuesday to Thursday. Then the DS starts on Saturday. Baseball playoffs are quick. You get through them. There's games, and before you know it, they're done. That's all of October. Should be phenomenal to watch. Other news. Friday night, San Francisco Giants fired their manager, Gabe Kapler, after four seasons. He won one division title in that time, but they missed the playoffs again this year. You think about the Giants, I wouldn't really look at their at the manager. They have swung and missed on a lot of big players. They wanted Aaron Judge. They couldn't get him. They wanted Carlos Correa. They couldn't get him. That turned out to be a benefit. Way back when, they, they had Madison Bumgarner. They let him go. But since they've been searching for a big-name player to come play for their organization, and I think they've been in the mix, but it's just it's come down to money and has not worked. Gabe Kapler had success, but the Giants still have Brandon Crawford on on their team, still have some guys from the World Series, and they're a little old. They just don't have the talent. I I said at the time I couldn't see this team making the playoffs, and ultimately they missed after a horrible September. So they need a scapegoat, and it's Gabe Kapler as they move in a different direction. This other team, hard to argue, not the most disappointing team in baseball in the New York Metropolitans. They miss out, obviously. And Buck Showalter will not return as the manager next season. David Stearns, new president of baseball ops, clearly wants to hire his new new person there. It'll be interesting offseason for the Mets if they decide to spend money, if they want to go in and show Yotani sweepstakes, throw some money at different players. But Buck Showalter will not be the manager moving forward. So two guys gone. Remains to be seen what's going to happen with the Yankees, who obviously missed the playoffs. Will they keep Aaron Boone? Will they keep Brian Cashman? The way I read a piece yesterday in the New York Post that they asked the hitting coach, who they hired at the All-Star break, to stay on and work with them next season. So they both asked in conjunction, that sounds like the Yankees are going to be bringing back the same people who were there this year. Is Aaron Boone a perfect manager? No, but I think the way Cashman spent his money hasn't been all that smart recently, and I look at him more than I look at the skip. Now here's some predictions. AL MVP, Shohei Otani, is going to win the MVP, even though he hasn't played in a month. He led the American League in home runs. What he did, hitting and batting, nobody – to me, it's I can't even come up with a name in the American League that comes close to him. Bichette tailed off with his injuries and things down the stretch. He was no good. He might as well have been hurt the, at the same time Otani was because he did just as much. Everybody else in the National League. If Matt Olson was in the, in, in the American League, he would win it. Or – uh, Freddie Freeman, then it, it would it would come up. Otani's going to win it. National League MVP Ronald Acuna Jr. Forty homers, seventy stolen bases, best team in baseball, batting three forty, 
most runs scored in the entire uh, entire MLB. Need I say more? Runner up Matt Olson and Mookie Betts with a with a side of Freddie Freeman, but Ronald Acuna Jr. will get the nod. American League Cy Young Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, his last two starts, he went 17 innings with one earned run. Just phenomenal. He had the lowest ERA in the in the American League, over 200 innings. He was a horse for the Yankees. He was one of the few things that went well in a season full of disasters. National League Cy Young, Blake Snell, who's entering for agency. Good time to be a free agent. you got Blake Snell entering free agency. You have Josh Hader, the all-star closer, entering free agency for the Padres, another disaster team. Do they bring their manager back? Do they bring back A.J. Preller, their GM? It is Monday. You usually go Black Monday after a season. I expect to hear some news from teams when it comes to their offseason plans in the not-too-distant future. So I, exp- I think that will be forthcoming as we move forward here. But Major League Baseball playoffs begin tomorrow. We will talk about that tomorrow. We will preview all the series. To hockey. Biggest story of the week. This is Friday. The biggest story of the weekend. Andre Vasilevsky underwent back surgery, and he'll be out two months. Well, this is big news because Andre Vasilevsky is the best goaltender in the NHL, and he's one of the five best players. So what do they do? Well, they have Jonas Johansson, who's played in Colorado, and he's bounced. He's a solid goaltender. They also have Hugo Umfeld, who they took, who's been a solid goaltender in the American League, who's 22 years old, and I think they're, they're going to give him a shot. Or they can look at the waiver wire. Spencer Martin, who was waived by Vancouver, was already claimed by Columbus, so they can't get him. But if Martin Jones is waived by Toronto at the end of their training camp, or if there's another goalie cut that you look at and go, that's interesting, maybe he can come in. Tampa defensively is already not a great team, I would argue. The bottom end of their defense is a weakness, part of the reason why they lost the Maple Leafs in the playoffs last year. So they're still a threatening team. I think they'll be able to survive this, but this certainly is not interesting. Uh, certainly is not easy for Tampa Bay to be without your best, the number one goalie in the NHL. The biggest reason why you are competitive for that period of time, I expect Jonas Johansson and I expect Hugo Onfeld to get a look at the NHL level to see what he can do because they don't have the money and they don't have the assets to go out there and trade for a goaltender of substance, nor do I believe teams around the NHL are going to want to give the Tampa Bay Lightning a goalie to make up for that absence. Former Tampa Bay Lightning winger Alex Kalorn, broken finger, fractured finger, of four to six weeks with Anaheim, so he'll miss the start of the season with his new team. Tough break, figuratively and literally, in that situation. Minnesota, a couple signings. They signed Matt Zuccarello to a two-year, $8.25 million contract. They also re-signed Marcus Foligno, four years by $4 million per. 
Interesting signings. Felino's 33. Zuccarello's 36. Two older players. But I think Minnesota still believes that they have a window to be competitive with Kaprizov and with the team that they have. I love Marcus Felino. I think he's invaluable to that team. He's captain material, just like his brother was in Columbus. So I think the with Felino, he'll continue to play the way he's, he played forever. Zuccarello is still very, very good playing with Kaprizov at his advanced age. And only two more years, not a bad deal. Then there's this, Steve, Sayo, Steve Steos, pardon me, was named president of hockey operations for the Ottawa Senators. A number of years ago, there was the Memorial Cup in St. John. Hamilton Bulldogs got to that Memorial Cup, and he was the president of said team. He worked for the Maple Leafs. He was a very good defenseman. when He, plays, he was a scout for a long time. This is Michael Anlauer, who worked with Steve Seos, bringing somebody he knows, bringing somebody he had success with, and him doing his first real work as the new owner. I believe this will put some pressure on Pierre Dorian and put some pressure on DJ Smith because Steve Seos, was, he's a new face. As is Anlauer, they are going to do what they want to do when it comes to head coach, when it comes to any decision they make on or off the ice. It's a fresh, fresh look. There's no no denying the fact that the Ottawa Senators are one of the teams entering the season with the most pressure to at least just make the postseason. Anything other than making the postseason will be a failure. Anybody who tells you otherwise is a liar. You can't miss every year since 2017 and go, okay, well, we're getting closer. Being a year away from being a year away means you're not anywhere close to, to being there. They should make it. With Timmy Stutzla, with Chikrin, with the team that they put together, they have a lot of talent. Corpusalo is a better goaltender. Giroux hopefully can still play as well as he did last year as he gets older. But if he can continue to play him on the wing, that's exactly where he should be at this point of his career. They have the players. Kachuk's a horse. I'll put, I'll put it this way. I think the Ottawa Senators have a better defense score than the Toronto Maple Leafs. There's a direct competitor. I'm not saying Ottawa's a better team. I think their defense score is better. And their goaltending at its apex could be better than Toronto's. Sansonoff, Corpusal, there's not a whole lot of difference there. Joseph Wall, who the hell knows? But I like Steve Steos. I like the hire. It's a new face. It's not a, okay, we got to go hire a guy who's 65 and has no hair and he's worked in the league forever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But this is another way of doing business, and I respect it. Those are the big hockey notes. We do have a game in Nova Scotia tonight, which I did not know until this morning. But I read that the Senators and the Penguins are playing in Nova Scotia, and Sidney Crosby is going to be in the lineup. So that's cool. That's that's that's. I'm glad they're doing that. It's preseason games. Who cares where you play them? I'll check that out tonight. I see TSN's released released their top fifty players. Let's read it out for you because I'm just looking at it now for the first time. 
Jacob Slavin, number 50. Well, if he's the 50th best player in the league, I want to see the other 48, 49. 49, Alex Petrangelo. Wow. UC Soros. Slavin and Petrangelo are better than Soros, but that's a whole other story. Josh Morrissey. Very good player. I would put both guys ahead of him, though. Dougie Hamilton, I like. Kyle Connor. Connor Hellebuck at 43. A couple Winnipeg Jets cutting it up. Nugent Hopkins. Slavin's better than Nugent Hopkins, but again, I don't mean to nitpick. And Steven Stamkos at 41. The pending UFA. I'll do my 10 best players in the league. That'll be next week. But tomorrow, we are doing the Atlantic Division preview, which will be awesome. So gear up for that. But before we wrap today, we had an NBA trade. We had a couple. We talked about the Damian Lillard deal. But the aftermath of that was that Drew Holiday ended up on Portland, and he was never going to stay on Portland because they have young guards and they don't want to be good. They won't tell you that, but that's where they want to be. So Portland flipped Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics for Malcolm Brogdon, center Rob Williams, a 2024 Golden State first-round pick, and a 2029 unprotected first. I didn't love the Dame part of this, what they got for Dame. I talked about that. I didn't think it was that good. I didn't think it was that impressive. This deal for Drew Holiday is a hell of a lot more than I thought they were going to get. There ended up being a bidding war because Miami wanted him. Of course, <laughs> Miami doesn't get him either. I think several teams around the NBA looked at uh, looked at Drew Holiday and said, we can win a title with him. This is savvy business by the Boston Celtics. Good work by Brad Stevens. They wanted to trade Malcolm Brogdon earlier in the summer. But the, the trade got vetoed because the team did not trust his health. Rob Williams has been a detriment on that team for a while. They will miss him because when healthy, he is very good. But I think they got the very best out of Rob Williams, and that body is breaking down by the day. But here's, for, here's why I like it. Another first-rounder in 2024, which is good, 2029. Again, later first-round pick, but it's a first-round pick. They will be able to trade Brogdon. They could trade him now. They could trade him in the trade deadline. He will have value to somebody because somebody will use him off the bench. Somebody will see his value, and he will get points. He'll, he'll be a, a good point guard, the sixth man for a good team. Rob Williams and DeAndre Ayton, the damn good one-two punch at center, when healthy, two guys that can block shots, two guys, Williams, a great defender. DeAndre Ayton's more of an offensive center, but two big guys. Portland's going to be, they're going to be talked about because of Scoot Henderson, but if they can at least be a tough team to play with Chauncey Billups and things of that nature, these two deals, very good work by Cronin, their GM, maximizing what he could get for the Damian Lillard asset and then flipping Drew Holiday into more things.
From the beginning, my point was that Miami deal was no good. Just for Tyler Hero and Yurtsevin and picks, I didn't see the value in it. They still get picks. They get players which they can flip into picks. They get two new centers on this team. They get rid of Yusef Nurkic, who they were done with for a while. We'll see what he can do on the Suns. But credit to the Portland Trailblazers. I'm putting together I'm getting putting together a little decent team to start this year with Scoot Henderson beginning his first NBA season. They're not going to be a playoff team, I don't believe. They won't be competitive. But could they be a play-in? Could they battle for a play-in position? I think so. They tanked last year. I don't think they're going to do it again because they have Scoot. And unless they're in that position, then they'll do it. But I don't think you're sitting down a rookie point guard who needs the reps later in the season like you can to Damian Lillard, who's 33 years old and has been there, done that, and knows what he is and what he's going to be as a player. But the Eastern Conference is wide open. Milwaukee's really good. The Celtics are better today than they were yesterday. The, the Sixers, James Harden's not showing up for media day. Did not report to training camp. So who the hell knows what's happening there? Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, you like the rest of the team. They're still competitive, but they're there. The Heat missed out on the Wales, but the Heat were in the finals last year. I don't think they're better, but they will be competitive because of Heat culture and Eric Spolstra being, hard to argue, the best coach in the NBA. Do other teams emerge? Who can who can show out? How does Cleveland rebound after that horrible performance in the playoffs? Are they a playoff team again? The Knicks. I think the Knicks are pretty good, quietly. How does Brooklyn perform this year as, as the first year as, as a whole team? The Bulls, Atlanta's offseason. Who knows? What I do know, the Washington Wizards are going to be horrible. Charlotte won't be much better. And the East is wide open. But good work by the Portland Trailblazers. College football, it's a bit of a meh weekend. Notre Dame escaped against Duke. Tough to see Riley Leonard get injured. Ole Miss defeating LSU in a thriller. That was an awesome game. Over 800 yards of offense on both sides. Jackson's Jackson Dart had a hell of a game. USC beat Colorado, but a great comeback from the Buffaloes. Texas beats Kansas. Georgia edges Auburn. If I had to rate the top four teams in college football right now, I believe I'd go Michigan. Then I'd go with Georgia, Texas, and I'm going with the University of Washington, who had a close game at number four. But they have the best offense in the country, most explosive players, and I don't know if any team other than USC and maybe Texas 
can score with them. But looking ahead, we got some interesting games this weekend. LSU's playing undefeated Missouri. Undefeated Maryland against undefeated Ohio State. Undefeated Oklahoma at undefeated Texas. The Red River Showdown. Washington State at UCLA. Spicy. Syracuse at North Carolina. Alabama playing Texas A&M. Max Johnson looking pretty damn good. Can they pull off the upset? UCF Kansas might be less appealing because Kansas just lost, but they're still a damn good team and they didn't have their starting quarterback. How about this? Undefeated Kentucky. 5-0. and at undefeated Georgia, little primetime game in the SEC, fun one. Notre Dame at Louisville, finally Louisville's ranked. They're 5-0. and They had the least impressive win on Friday night, but they're still undefeated, and the Irish squeak out wins. Michigan at Minnesota, battle in the Big Ten. Oregon State, Cal, USC playing Arizona. So we got some good games upcoming in college football this weekend. Tonight, as I mentioned, we got Seahawks at the New York Football Giants. The Major League Baseball playoffs kick off tomorrow, late afternoon. Stoked for that. So until then, we got our Atlanta Division preview tomorrow. We're going to talk about the talk about playoffs. We got lots coming. So until then. Enjoy the rest of the beautiful day. We'll talk to you tomorrow here on To The Point.